0: 104 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultramarathon runner, and creator of The Path Back an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction or any type of compulsive sexual behavior, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And uh, again, the response to the coupon code Happy New Year, all one word, has been fantastic. So it is extended through the end of the month of February. So use that code Happy New Year, all one word, and you will get $50 off the Path Back Recovery program. All right, the interview today is also on the Virtual Couch YouTube channel. So if you want to see my guest, Nikki Eisenhower, and I talk about today's subject, if you've already read in the subject uh, subject line of today's podcast, highly sensitive person. And uh, I can't even wait to get to this interview. I really can't. You're going to learn so much today. Um, I know I I have, did, and continue to... Um, try to learn more about this topic. But before we get to that, please go follow Virtual Couch on Instagram. You can find me at Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist on Facebook and visit TonyOverbay.com and sign up there to receive information on upcoming programs and appearances and books and special webinars and just a whole lot of good stuff coming. But again, I could not wait to get to this interview with today's guest, Nikki Eisenhower. So uh, we talk about it on the podcast a lot. So I'll kind of give uh, I'll just give a real brief overview. Um, Nikki is she's a, a psychotherapist um, she's also an international life coach, and she is host of the award-winning podcast called Emotional Bad A. But uh, more about that title coming up, you have to listen to the beginning of this episode. But um, we talked to her about her experience as and working with what is called highly sensitive people, HSP. And some estimates say that uh, somewhere between 10 and fifteen percent of the population would fall under the spectrum of HSP. And a highly sensitive person is believed to experience the world differently than others. Um, Highly sensitive people are more aware of subtleties and they process information more deeply. And I just have to tell you, this is one of those things where um, I can now say that I've been doing this career for a little while and I'm a huge evidence-based guy. I feel like I've just found such a flow with uh, whether we're talking about couples relationships, this uh, emotionally focused therapy, EFT, or for individuals, it's acceptance and commitment therapy. If it's parenting, it's the nurtured heart approach. And I just, uh, I just love these things. They're all evidence-based modalities. They kind of play in nicely together, and um, I feel like it just kind of gives me a nice holistic view of ways to help individuals, help couples, help families. And uh, I had uh, someone that I really was enjoying working with. But uh, just because you enjoy working with someone doesn't mean that you always feel like you're doing all that you can. And uh, it was just it was killing me to, to think that I wasn't able to help this person. And this person actually then brought me this information asking me if I'd ever heard of an HSP, a highly sensitive person. And just by that title, it doesn't sound very um, right to very scientific or very uh, just sounds like, well, yeah, I mean, I get a little sensitive sometimes. I, like to, I might cry at the end of a movie if uh, some dog and cat get reunited or something like that. Maybe I'm sensitive, highly sensitive. But uh, the more I started to dig, the an HSP is more than just a, a title. Um, there's a lot more under the surface. So what it first led me to was just a quick deep dive. If you do a, a Google um, search, one of the first things I found was uh, hsperson.com. And let me just read a little bit about what hsperson.com says. And then I want to get to this interview with Nikki. But it uh, just kind of says, is this you? Are you easily overwhelmed by such things as bright lights, strong smells, coarse fabrics, sirens nearby? Do you get rattled when you have a lot to do in a short amount of time? Do you make a point of avoiding violent movies and TV shows? Do you need to withdraw during busy days into bed or a darkened room or some other place where you can have privacy and relief from the situation? Do you make it a high priority to arrange your life um, to avoid upsetting or overwhelming situations? Do you notice or enjoy delicate uh, or fine scents, tastes, sounds, works of art? Do you have a rich and complex inner life? Um, as a child where your parents or teachers, uh, do they often see you as sensitive or shy? Um, <clears throat> then uh, on the website, uh, this is Elaine Aaron. She says, dear highly sensitive person or anybody raising a highly sensitive child, which she calls an HSC. She says, I'm Elaine Aaron. I began researching highly high sensitivity in 1991 and continue to do research on it now. Also calling it sensory processing sensitivity, or SPS, the trait scientific term. She said, I never plan to write any self-help books, but those who have seen this tra- trait seem to gain great, a great deal of knowledge from learning about it, and she's written a few books. But uh, here's some of the data that she's collected. Your trait is normal. It's found in about 15 to 20% of the population, which I thought was interesting because she said that with that large of a number, it's too many to be a disorder, and Nikki talks about that a little bit on the podcast but not enough to be well understood by the majority of those around you. Um, She says it's innate. In fact, biologists have found it in over 100 species, probably more, from fruit flies, birds, fish, dogs, cats, horses, and primates. And this trait reflects a certain type of survival strategy, being observant before acting. So the brains of highly sensitive persons, HSPs, actually work a little differently than others. And to learn more about that, she actually has a link to the research for, for HSPs. Um, But some of the other traits, you're more aware of other subtleties. This is mainly because your brain processes information and reflects on it more deeply. So even if you wear glasses, for example, you see more than others by noticing more. But she also says you're more easily overwhelmed. If you notice everything, you're naturally going to be overstimulated when things are too intense or complex or chaotic or novel for a long time. She said this trait is not a new discovery, but it has been misunderstood because HSPs prefer to look before entering new situations. They're often called shy. But shyness is learned, not innate. And in fact, 30% of HSPs are extroverts, although the trait is often mislabeled as introversion. Um, It's also been called inhibitedness, fearfulness, neuroticism. And some HSPs behave in these ways, but it is not innate to do so and not the basic trait. And uh, I thought this was an interesting thing that Elaine mentioned as well. Sensitivity is valued differently in different cultures. In cultures where where it's not valued, HSPs tend to have low self-esteem. They're told don't be so sensitive so that they start to feel abnormal. So she says, though, you are definitely not alone. For example, tens of thousands of people um, have subscribed to a newsletter she has called The Comfort Zone. And uh, so you can check that out on her site, hsperson.com. But uh, my guest today, um, Nikki Eisenhower, and uh, we'll talk about the plugs. I'll have the links on the show notes, that sort of thing. Nikki has programs. Um, She has an incredible podcast with hundreds of episodes. And so I just really encourage you to go look up Nikki after you hear this wonderful interview about what is a HSP or highly sensitive person. And again, the reason I'm so excited to present this information is after I even did the interview with Nikki and I had done a little bit of a deep dive even trying to learn more to, to help some of the clients that I thought this might apply to, um, just kind of became a little bit more, uh, as I became more aware, I pointed a few of my clients to the, the YouTube interview since I hadn't recorded this podcast yet and um just got some uh, really really interesting feedback people that a couple of people opened up with some things that they never shared with anybody before um because this whole concept of a highly sensitive person and some of the things that Nikki talks about helped people feel a little bit better because i think that a lot of people um, if they're told, hey, you're too sensitive, don't cry, don't be a baby, just get over it, they learn to bottle a lot of the things up that they feel or even things they experience or express or see or, or hear. And so I just really feel like this is one of these episodes that um, is going to resonate with a lot of people. Again, maybe even between 10 and 20% of the population identify as HSPs. And uh, you'll hear a pretty funny story of why I had a very hard time even saying the name of Nikki's podcast. But Nikki's been amazing, fantastic. And uh, I highly encourage you to check out her website and her podcast. So let's get right to my interview with Nikki Eisenhower on Highly Sensitive People. Um, but my guest is uh, Nikki Eisenhower. Now, Nikki, I can't even... Okay, I got to start right out with you. We, we kind of joked off uh, offline, off air, whatever the kids say these days. We're very aligned in things about mindfulness and authentic and being present, right?
1: Mm -hmm, We are
0: start with a very authentic story. Are you ready? I am ready. Hey, if I did more in the production value, there would be some very, very touching music right now that would take you back to a 17 year old Tony Overbay at his home growing up. Um, But I'll make this very quick. So I went to this uh, leadership camp over over a summer between my junior and senior years. And it was supposedly these future leaders of the world It was in upstate New York had to go through an interview process. So we've got like uh, 30 kids from the US and 30 or 40 kids from the world. And these guys now I'm I'm the biggest not success out of the whole group. They, all these guys are like doctors and attorneys and congressmen and whatever. Okay. But I come home from there, and when you get a bunch of teenage boys together, the language gets a little bit bad. So I'm at home, and I think I'm still just very using very colorful language. And my mom kind of called me out on it, and I said something to the effect of, "Fine, I will never say a bad word again." And and I can't lie, I'm now 49, so. I don't know the math, but I, I really have it. And I I have friends that say bad words all the time and I laugh and it's funny and I don't judge. I'm very, I'm very, but to me, it's just been something like, it's almost like, uh, when the Fonz and happy days couldn't say he was sorry. So the name of your podcast, Nikki, I'm about to like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. See where I'm going? (laughs) yes so if you notice on the link to invite you to be Uh on it it's emotional bad a dollar sign dollar sign i
1: did notice that i did i did so you're really pushing your growth edge about to (laughs) my podcast
0: (laughs) so because i don't want to i love your podcast i've now binged on your podcast And again, it's so, but I don't know, Nikki, me being authentic, but I feel like it would be an insult to say that you are from the very successful podcast, Emotional Bad A.
1: Yes. There you go. I'll take it. It's close enough.
0: All right. Yes. Let me do it. I might, I might just at the end, I might just throw one out there, you know?
1: Right. Like do it if you feel it. Do it (laughs) if you feel it.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right. I'm so grateful that you took the time though. And you know, I... When I reached out to you, and I, I, now that I've done the deep dive, I would love to talk to you about so many things. And we were even talking about a topic very near and dear to my heart of, of I don't know, fighting porn addiction and that sort of thing. Like yes. you, you're, you have a lot of layers, which is- Yes, kind of
1: I great. do. I do. Mm-hmm. But,
0: but I, I reached out to you because I had a client come and ask me if I knew anything about HSP. And in my brain, I did ESP jokes. I did all kinds of stuff. I didn't yes. say them out loud because I wanted to be very there for this client. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know what HSP is. And then I just did a little bit of digging and didn't realize there, this is a thing. And, it's uh, amazing. but I'm, I'm coming to this just that I just want to hear, teach me Nikki. Okay. What is HSP?
1: Okay. Highly sensitive people. That's what that, that's what that stands for. Okay. So it, and I didn't come across this term in school. I've got an undergraduate in psychology. I've got a master's degree in counseling. And this was not something that even therapists were taught. And I think to people that are figuring this out, that's a real shocker (laughs) that we weren't being taught about high sensitivity. I think just now it's starting to enter graduate programs. Okay. Uh, Dr. Elaine Aaron and Dr. Judith Orloff, who's a psychiatrist, uh, Elaine Aaron is a researcher. Uh, uh, Dr. Elaine Aaron really started this research. And so if you get into her work, it's very much... um, it's like reading a textbook. It will bring you back to college, but it's really that kind of nitty gritty scientific based uh, information on high sensitivity being real. And the best way that I can explain it to you is I'm looking at you with glasses on. Okay. And if, and I'm sitting here without glasses on, I don't have contacts on. If you and I are standing next to each other and we both do a seeing test an eye test, it makes perfect sense to us that your sense of sight Mm. is going to be different than my sense of sight. And just because I have a stronger sense of sight, that doesn't elicit any uncomfortableness. That doesn't sound woo-woo at all.
0: Right, okay.
1: When we go into feelings, immediately all of us have the judgment of that's just woo-woo. So if we're standing next to each other and I say, I feel more than you do because I was born with a nervous system that is just more finely tuned. It's paying attention to more stimuli than the average person. Now, once I compare it to sight, I think people go, oh, okay. I get what you're saying, but it makes us really face how much judgment we have about feelings, even in a therapeutic community.
0: Yeah. So, because then it's like, well, they're not really feeling that or they're doing that for attention or whatever that is.
1: Yes. And so what we know in terms of having lots of feelings is histrionics. Yes, and I believe that a lot of people even though the general public doesn't really know that word histrionics Which is very like theatrical and dramatic. These are the drama queens of society, right? Yeah, yeah And one of the traits of of highly sensitive people is that we are highly conscientious as a crowd and i'm going to speak in Gross generalities, right? Okay. Everything's on a spectrum But we are highly conscientious histrionic dramatic people they aren't so conscientious they walk in the room and it's kind of all about them and it's there and i think that because that's our perception that if someone is highly emotional they must be highly dramatic they must soak up all the energy in the room and that's a really unfair unfortunate mm, processing thing we've done to highly sensitive people most highly sensitive people abhor Taking up the space in the room that way. They don't want to. So, even within our own community of being highly sensitive, a lot of people um, kind of revolt against this high sensitivity. They want to know how to change it, how to not be.
0: Oh, they want to stifle it, they want to hide it, they want to.
1: Because since we were little, we think 15 to 20% of the population is highly sensitive. Okay. Now, most of us know that, that are in mental health that most of the serious mental disorders are in the 1% to 3% range yeah. of the population, yeah. right? Yeah. And most of us know somebody who's bipolar or schizophrenic or whose family has been touched by that. That's in the 1% to 3% range. Wow. So if high sensitivity is 15 to 20% of us, that's a lot of people. Yeah, But it also means for us that 85 percent of the population to 80 percent has given me feedback my entire life based on how they process
0: and there's there there's there comes that uh, fixing and judgment statements what's wrong with me i yeah. right.
1: why are you tearing up at this sunset nikki because i can be in a store and the smile of a child that just mm-hmm. looks at me and connects can make me just a little teary it, it fills my heart up and i can i feel that as i move through and wow. if we path if we pathologize that it's really easy to see me tearing up at a sunset and maybe go, my goodness, Nikki, that's the third time you've teared up today. Get a mood stabilizer right. in this pill-heavy yeah. culture that we have. Yeah. And, and I think because we do don't teach all throughout our elementary school and high school education about emotional development, emotional intelligence, what happens when I'm having my feelings is that the person next to me has no real script for how to be with someone who's having their feelings.
0: I want to, okay. So is this an okay time to even, and I did, I was so anxious to jump into HSP. Tell me what, so is this the story of your life? I mean, tell me about when did you, did you kind of feel uh, something different or the more? Always. Emotional? Okay.
1: Always from being a small, a, a very small child, highly sensitive people are observers. So right. I can look back at my own life um, a few years into being a clinician. Let's see. I started doing, being a therapist in 2007. Hmm. Um, a few years in this high sensitivity thing started hitting me. And just like all of you who are out there listening, going, Oh my gosh, this might be the thing that I am or or therapists who are realizing, Oh, this is, these are, this is why some of my clients hit some of these markers and I can't quite quite figure out why they're in the same category. You may, connect some dots by hearing me talk today. Um, oh, shoot, I lost my train of thought. Where oh, was I just though?
0: when you were young and did, yeah, when did it kind of oh, connect to you? When did you feel it?
1: So I could start to look back and realize that even at three and four years old, um, I would very much observe my giant Catholic family, okay. very much observe them for football games and such. And I, I can remember sitting back at about four or five, six, seven, eight, and just observing those games and thinking things that don't make sense for a four-year-old to think. Like really observing, why are they getting excited watching this football game? I'm I'm from New Orleans, big Saints fans. So watching this exuberance of emotion and anger and joy and expression that wasn't necessarily typical in how we related to each other, but then this game could be on and all this emotion could come out. So looking back, I can see, all right, that's definitely how a highly sensitive kid processes that moment I couldn't be in that moment with them I stood back and observed it so we're little observers kind of from the word go
0: so do you feel like then that carried through high school middle school I mean were you always the the person that was kind of sitting back and watching
1: always observing um but always feeling really raw I grew up in a very dysfunctional family um my parents split up with just one of those kind of awful war of the roses type divorces Mm -hmm. And that was dragged out a very long time. Um, So I felt a lot of attachment wounding. I had night terrors. So I also started working with therapists very, very young. And I realized looking back that the more sensitive therapists, they had a feeling connection with me Mm. that transcended words, you know, or what we talked about, especially the difference, you know, talking to children in therapy versus adults. It's more playful and light. Uh, But I could just see like this progression um, and in trying to heal myself over those years, seeing therapists as a young girl, I felt very pathologized and misunderstood. Okay. And the more that I was misunderstood by therapists that I am very critical of our profession. Like as much as we do very good, very, very good work for a lot of people. I think we also miss a lot and don't really know as a tribe how to step into what we don't know, and that creates a lot of hardship. So, this, is, I gotta tell
0: I you, this is we we this is, we got to do a whole episode on this, Nikki, because okay. I I totally agree because I feel like sometimes, especially going back to that the world of addiction, or and, and when someone is yeah. kind of throwing a lot of judgment and yes. shame on somebody, which only fuels an addiction, and then you know somebody yes. for help and they leave feeling worse. You know that's yeah yes all right yes but, yes, but, yes.
1: But, I mean but, and it's and it. Yeah, and it cycles on itself. And, and there were, so there were lots of things that I felt like, what was wrong with me? Like, it's very easy to, to look back at my life. Um, my mother married a known child molester and I've grown up and put him in prison. Wow. So it's easy to look back at my life and go, well, obviously that's an obvious trauma that I needed to heal. But, mm. what's, but what I think hurts people and affects people even more than those sort of obvious traumas that take a lot of work, Mm -hmm. Are those subtle traumas, you know, like my mom wasn't married when she conceived me. So I grew up in the Catholic church and I remember learning the word bastard Uh, and asking and saying, is this what God thinks I am? And getting told, well, yes. (laughs) Uh, And feel like when I look back at that, I think, A, not only was that a weight, like I think another child who's not so sensitive kind of goes, well, you know, Whatever or yeah, that's could, mean, and, yeah. and kind of like runs off from it and goes and plays, and it doesn't hit so deeply.
0: Mm.
1: It penetrated me and went into the core of my being. So I think other kids were outside playing and you know wanting to ride bikes, and I did that stuff too. But all I, I was while I was carrying, what am I, and and why would why would a church and a, and a God think of me in this bad way when? I didn't make any of these choices. Those types of things that really highly sensitive kids process their worlds in this very deep way. We have rich inner worlds. Okay. So we, we spend a lot of time within our own heads. All of us aren't introverts. About 30% of HSPs we think are extroverts, which is very interesting. Okay. But we think about 70% of the HSPs are introverts. Um, so our, world, our inner world is very Very rich. So as I started learning.
0: Well, and what is, because I I, now you got me thinking of uh, there are clients that I meet with that I feel like they, you know, they do have an entire world developed in their mind and they don't share it. And that's really a vulnerable spot for them too, because that's yet another place Mm -hmm. that, hey, grow up or, you know, you shouldn't be thinking those things. Or is that, was that, is that the experience?
1: Uh, Absolutely. And a little bit of, not a little bit, a lot of you're just too much. Okay. Like your feelings are too much like the way that your process in the world is too much, wow. um, kind of what's wrong with you, mm-hmm. you know, subtly just, wow, and not right, so right, subtly.
0: Right, right? Don't do, uh, yeah, okay.
1: Yes, and I would. I would go do those things, but it didn't solve things for me. So wow. I also recognize, and I've recognized this in my clients over the years, and I, I honor my clients as some of the greatest teachers. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also a yoga teacher, and in that philosophy, you learn that your, your students are your greatest so in all these ways, my yogic training, like everything kind of has come together to really peel back the layers and help me know how to deal with my own sensitivity to help clients deal with their sensitivity. Okay. And Those before we go
0: too far. Oh, yeah. I, I'm tracking. This is good. Um,
1: okay. Okay, good. You track me. I might get lost. <laughs> before we to...
0: Um, when you were, when you say that it, pre, how does it present as a kid? Would it look like anxiety or would it look like I yes. have more anxiety? Okay.
1: More anxiety. So sometimes it can be, a lot of parents notice it at first in the physical realm. Sensitive mm-hmm. kids may have a sensitivity to light, to sounds, to crowds, um, to fabrics, um, um, that type of thing. So, And again, just like the site, we maybe are more comfortable with our tactile senses than our emotional senses. But if we step back and look, um, oh, that's where I was going. Okay. What I found, and my, my hunch, I don't have any statistics on this. I don't know if we ever will. And that, that's part of why I made my show is in, in this emotional kind of realm, we can only measure so much. So yeah. I don't know how much science is going to get on board with what I'm observing Within my own process and that of my clients over mm-hmm. the 13 years I've been doing this. Yeah. One of the, the things that I see that's kind of a wild trend for me to see is that I think most of us that are born highly sensitive are often born into families where other people are not. Okay. And I believe that there's often this I had uh, parents with personality disorders, which means mm-hmm. they did not hold personal responsibility. For themselves,
0: okay, yeah. Be-
1: if I'm a highly sensitive kid with dysfunctional parents who maybe aren't very emotionally, intellectually mature, right, in their emotional processing and their emotional intelligence, and they don't take personal responsibility,
0: that's what I say and they don't they don't own their own stuff. So it's obviously not them. Must you. You're the one that's overreacting. You're the one yes. that's. Dead. Okay. So
1: those messages are really strong, and what I believe conceptually is what happens is those parents—it's like the responsibility is a ball, mm-hmm. and that like a ball in our balloon, and it floats around in the family. And because the parents aren't holding it, here comes this highly sensitive kid. Now, as a rule, we we have an overdeveloped sense of responsibility.
0: Uh, okay,
1: exactly. I mean,
0: is that hey, do you feel like that's a factory setting then, or is that? Um,
1: I think it's both. I think it's a factory setting, but I also believe if we have that factory setting and we wind up born into a family where the parents aren't taking responsibility for their own behavior, their own flaws, their own psychological work that we all face doing, whether we're sensitive or not, what happens is that ball of responsibility floats and a little HSP kid just grabs it Gosh! on top of the normal developmental milestones of children being egocentric Uh And that's why kids think, even if when their parents are having a great divorce and are saying all the right things, those kids still say, well, no, why is it my fault? It must be my fault if I was good enough. Because their worldview isn't big enough to hold that it's not them. So on top of those developmental milestones, HSP kids hold a tremendous amount of responsibility. So do you...
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, to cut no, you off.
1: cut in, but, but cut in. because
0: well, well, should... It makes me think, I mean, and I do feel like maybe this is part of the way that we want to just immediately solve everything, but people listening to this, if they are saying, okay, um, they go through a divorce, one of the kids doesn't seem to care. And the other kid, you know, does feel like it's all them. Is it, is it that easy to say HSP kid, or is that just, you know, one of the many traits of an HSP kid?
1: It's one of the many traits of an HSP kid. It really is. And it, it would behoove those parents to reach out to somebody like me okay. um, and just ask some questions and really understand, is the parent sensitive? Is the parent not? Okay. If the parent isn't highly sensitive, how do they become an ally for this child? Mm. And how do they not participate in the, what's wrong with you? You know, yeah. why won't you just do this like your sibling? Um, I don't get it because I don't feel this way. Therefore, something must be wrong with you.
0: Oh, all those, all those, uh, the, the, you know, the person internalizes that is what's wrong yes. with me fame. What am I doing wrong? Yes. Yeah.
1: So one of the workshops that I teach, I don't know when I'm teaching it again, as I say okay. this, uh, I taught it last year is, uh, how to unleash the superpowers of high sensitivity. Okay. My sensitivity is a superpower. When you do the healing that you need to do to kind of remove the layers of trauma, of shame, of Nervous system just being on over a lifetime and never allowed to relax Mm -hmm. It takes a certain removing of enough pain to get to the place of wait a minute This isn't something that plagues me. This isn't something that's been hard for me This isn't something that just makes me move through the world and I have to Sigh and roll my eyes because another person goes what's wrong with you? Why are you crying? Yeah Figuring out that this this is truly a superpower I believe that highly sensitive people are true leaders okay. in the so, world.
0: Yeah. In what way? More empathy? I mean, is that, or more, more
1: empathy? Okay. We also tend to have more vision okay. of the future. And that's part of why we have more anxiety, right? You know that our anxiety is about the past and the future. Nine yeah. times out of 10, we're just fine in the present moment, but our mind is running around in the past or the future. So we're either overthinking and overprocessing. So I do a lot of work with people on, hey, I want to work with you and coach you on how to think, not overthink.
0: Okay, I love that. Because
1: overthinking is as useful as underthinking, only we don't like to accept that. Yeah. So learning how to just think is very important for an HSP, not to rehash the past too much or not to project into the future. We kind of border because we're so perceptive. I would call myself an intuitive Okay. Because we're so intuitive and perceptive, we kind of border on psychic. Okay. That, that sounds very hooey and, you know, hippy dippy to a lot of people. But it's because we can sense that vision example that I gave you of, yeah. of course, I can see the mountain in the distance a little more clearly than you can. I'm not, I don't need glasses. I can also see kind of the dominoes that may fall next for someone. Not yeah. that that's 100% accurate. Not that that's prophecy so much of, of future events. I can't tell you, oh yeah, you're going to meet the guy of your dreams, you know, next yeah. week. That, that's being psychic. And I don't consider myself that, but we can really see what's about to happen. So when an HSP goes to a traditional clinical therapist and that therapist stops short at stop projecting, be pre- in the present moment, as much as that's an accurate redirection, that does help us manage anxiety. It doesn't honor how often I project, Hey, this is what I think is going to happen. And I get proof that I'm right about it.
0: So that, that, and I do find it's so funny you say this. I feel like, uh, so I actually had a, I had a, a wonderful psychic on my podcast a year ago and she okay. talked a lot about being an empath and, and okay. we explored that a lot. And I kind of, uh, I had a little more awareness around that whole concept. And I thought back about some of the clients I've worked with that do, feel those emotions you know take Mm -hmm. on those emotions of others and uh and then I started noticing people that would say no one will give them credit or um acknowledge that when they do feel like hey I've got a pattern of these things that happen kind of like what you're laying out there and and I it's funny I've worked with a couple of them where I'm I'm where it is I've worked with them long enough to now see that okay I cannot deny you know that this is a pattern and boy to watch the relief where somebody's like see I mean I'm not crazy right And it's, I mean, I'm thinking of one right now where it's, it's, it's a breakthrough where you just feel like, man, no, I I do see, I mean, I see this happening repeatedly in your life and, and it is traditional therapy wants to do the, is this just like an irrational thought? Is this Mm a, or or even an acceptance commitment therapy, is this something they're fusing to so they don't have to do the hard work or, but I mean, I don't know, they're pretty judgmental to an HSP.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, and And part of why I started my show and started sharing more of my story was because I started realizing, okay, with the population that I developed working with, because I didn't set out to work with highly sensitive people. I started realizing most of my clients are highly sensitive. They're finding me. Okay. And I realized as I walked in my world where people don't know I'm a therapist, they don't know I'm a coach. Grocery store I I stuck my head in a little cigar box a couple uh cigar shop a few years ago to get little cigar boxes that I love making crafts with and such Uh and the owner of the cigar shop just kind of looked at me and just started talking and then told me he had been sexually abused as a child by a pastor Uh and then kind of panicked I don't know why I said that to you that has happened to me so consistently that my friends and my partner really have figured out how to just kind of step into the background and let me have a moment with somebody because it happens so frequently. And so mm. it, it, they proved to me like, okay, I have to really look at this empath part of me. Cause I started saying to people, don't panic. Don't worry. I'm a therapist. I'm a healer. And there's something about me. I'm an empath. It, some part of, you know, that knows that I'm safe to say that too.
0: This is is interesting. So do you run into, and I've actually even said it on a podcast or two, where I, you know, part of, uh, I did 10 years in the computer software industry. It just didn't for me. Um, and I felt called to this work and I, you know, and I tell us a couple of stories about, you know, talking with a doc worker, who's building our trade show booth. And all of a sudden he's Mm -hmm. telling me about his marriage or, you know, showing me where his new tattoo is and people around saying. You know, what is up with that? And, and even I'm going, I don't know, you know, uh, but I mean, so do you start to find that's more of it? Am I diagnosing myself as HSP right here? You
1: might have some traits or, or yeah. qualities of yeah. it. You really might. You, yeah. really might. you really might. There are a bunch of quizzes online. You can go take any quiz that there is out there. I score on it at about a hundred percent every single time. And this empath stuff, it's kind of like HSP 2.0. Okay. It's, it's, I can feel the emotions of the people around me. Mm. There are different types of impacts. I'm not every type of empath, yeah. but there are, and it can sound a little hippie dippier depending on what your comfort zone is, the more that you go, but there are anim- animal empaths that really feel like they can sense what an animal is trying to say. Mm. There are medical impacts that can sense um, where sickness or illness is in someone else's body. Um, so before you figure out what this is or why people are just coming out of the woodwork to tell you very personal things, it feels like the world is kind of handling you with this weird energy. You don't know what's going to come out of what. And you say something like, I really think this, this animal like, is scared and needs this. And people go, what do you mean? What do you think you're psychic? we have to, as a profession, we have to do a better job of not pathologizing our humanity.
0: Uh Well, it's funny. I've never even knew. I've had a couple of then people that have medical uh, empath ability and and both of them a few years apart, very clearly, you know, never told anybody that because they felt like they knew what it would sound like. And it's Uh going to build a lot of rapport. And then you've got this person that's a very successful person in front of you that is saying, okay, I don't know why I'm going to tell you this, but Here's my thing, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I mean, so that, and I'm, and I feel impressed to say that just because I'm sure that there are people listening that are thinking, all right, what are they talking about now? Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm following the HSP thing, but now they're talking uh-huh. about, you know, uh, a doctor knowing where to, to operate when, you know, or, or whatever that looks like. Um, but I love mm-hmm. that you started with that example of the glasses. So, you know, if I, if I don't have my glasses on, then, you know, who am I to say, you can't see that, you know, the thing, Mr. Person with glasses on with better eyesight than me. Um, I wouldn't even think to do that, but if somebody's telling me that, you know, they're a, uh, highly skilled surgeon and they feel like they are kind of guided to the areas that they need to operate on, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, maybe they I, I might've had a tendency to kind of go, okay, all right, now, hold on, let me, uh, let me pull out a whole different set of, you know, assessment questions now, because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and not the ones that are very positive. Right. So, I mean, and
1: I think that those fears yeah. keep a lot of people from, reaching out for help and assistance because yes. they're scared of being labeled psychotic or being automatically heavily medicated. There are yeah. often times where someone starts to share something with me and I really think thank goodness you showed up in my chair. Yes. Because if um, you showed up with the therapist, you would be medicated into being a zombie. Yeah. And that that's really dangerous. And you know, you and I talked about both being addiction specialists. Uh, yeah. I did addiction in my early career. And Part of how this HSP stuff was forming at the time when I didn't have the language was I would know in addiction, if someone would leave treatment, I I had the sense of knowing this person will be okay. Even though they didn't hit all this criteria that my treatment team thinks that they should should hit before they leave, I would know this person's gonna be okay. Even if they have some slips Mm -hmm. and some relapses, I know they're gonna be okay. And with other people, I would think this person is not gonna be okay. And I would even have the thought, this person is going to die every now mm. and then. And then I would have all these judgments. And this is what happens for HSPs. And then they have these judgments. What's wrong with me? That's mean. Why am I putting that on someone? How dare I, as a therapist, mm. put that, even an idea and thought within myself, on someone? I don't know. I couldn't possibly know that. And really participate in that shaming, that self-shaming yeah. and having to really get past that to a point of having to step back. And because of my profession, and this is what I think the average HSP person isn't getting unless they're in a, this field or some of my hairstylists figure it out because they see people a lot like we do, hour to hour, back to back. And what that gives us is this great big experiment. Mm-hmm. We're not taking notes on it. We're not documenting it in every way that a scientific experiment goes down. But we are having person after person after person come in and give feedback. Um, And that's a very interesting perspective. And so I would have people tell me like the same thing, like four people out of seeing five people in a day would come in and tell me things on the same exact topic in the same exact way without knowing each other. And I thought, what is going on here? And am I the common thread? In my early addiction work, what got validated for me as a newbie kind of baby green therapist. Um, and I was a therapist in, I'm from new Orleans. So I was finishing school. I was in the middle of my graduate program, right? When Katrina hit. Wow. So I went, I went back to new Orleans um, before the end of that year and was really part of becoming a therapist during that aftermath. Um, so I really like baptism by fire, yeah. um, you know, to get into this field. So when you get into this as a healer, or as an HSP, you're using all this sort of experimental knowledge to prove to yourself what's going on and what isn't crazy and what you have to face as real. And I I think because I've been sort of on the other side of the chair Mm -hmm. as a therapist since I was a small child, I I like to joke I've done more therapy than anyone in the world, which it can't possibly be completely true, but Mm -hmm. I've got to be up there in the top 10%. Nice. I think that helps me kind of bring the experience of the deeper layers of, of healing that the clinical profession has missed with me over the years and to help internalize more of a confidence about this high sensitivity instead of a fear, instead of a craziness and instead of an overwhelm.
0: Can I, can I ask you, so if I, cause I still am at this point where I just learned about HSP in the the person that had kind of brought it to my attention, I, I felt bad that I, you know, my brain goes to the, I haven't been able to help them the way that they need help. So I'm trying to do this deep dive and learn more about it. When you get someone who comes to you and they haven't had anyone who has understood what HSP is, what do you, what what do you do? What do you tell them? How do you start? I mean, is it more, I know there's got to be a lot of validation and empathy there, but are there things that someone can do to start to make their world? Cause I've read online stuff about they, they can, it's okay to have more downtime. It's, you know, or what are some of the things?
1: It is that, that really a lot of radical understanding about who you are. So okay. the first thing I want to help an HSP do is stop fighting their natural sensitivity. Okay. You can't turn it off. You know, like my hair is wavy. You know, my skin is this complexion. You know, I'm looking at you. You've lost your hair. You know, there are yeah. certain we things we we just
0: years, yeah. right there.
1: My partner doesn't have any hair either. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's one of those things that we have to learn. And I don't think we teach our kids, much less the adults in our American society, how to do this. We yeah. have to. We have to learn how to be with ourselves more. That's the phrase that I use a lot, how to be with ourselves more about the things that we don't have control over to be able to have more control.
0: I will quote the great uh, uh, Nikki Eisenhower right here off of her website. Where, and I love this. I, I put down in my notes, you said, you know, we let go of what doesn't serve us uh, to hold wounds. We find our voice guilt-free, learn to be the hero in our own story. Um, embrace gorilla self-care, laugh with lightness of the self-development path. I mean, basically that whole just being you, being real, being yes. worth something. Yes. Um yes. the shed the 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 shoulds. I should be doing yes. this, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: So a lot of HSPs who show up with anxiety and depression, it's because they felt like weird aliens mm-hmm. in their own world for so long. So what I want to offer them is to a lot of normalization. Um, we also tend to feel a big, a high sense of integrity that comes along with our high sensitivity. Um, I just listened to your episode about quitting. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. I think that's a place where we help HSPs process where they can quit certain okay. things and how that's so essential in life is we're going to pick up so many things. Why we have developed as a society that it's so hard to quit is really crazy and backwards. Well, that's good because that
0: is that there was the one where it talked about you know if that thing that they're trying to reach is just out of reach and then they're just trying harder to get it, but they're never going to get it, right? Mm-hmm. Then yeah, they're, if they're trying to be that whatever that they believe is normal, I, you know, I need to stop crying whenever I see a, a whatever commercial or yep, right? I, I'll train myself, I will whatever, and that's yes. not that's not yes. productive.
1: Yes, and an HSP wanting to be less emotional, less sensitive. Is as wild and crazy as me wanting to be like a professional basketball player. Okay. You know, I'm a five five foot three shorty Italian. Like, it's I'm not going to do it. I don't have that skill set. It's not who I am. It's not who I was put on the earth to be. Those are not the gifts that I have to serve with.
0: There's a, n- a note for yet another episode. We got to do the old uh-huh. "You can be anything you want to be," right? That's the episode. That's what I always say. If you're like a five foot, you know, I always say five two you know, 400 pound, uh, 60 yeah. year old guy who says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to the NBA. Cause I read everywhere. I, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. And I, and I know it. Right. I feel bad. Yep. Saying, right? There's another topic we'll cover, but I love it.
1: That brought so, me yeah. so much depression as a mm. young woman, because I really, I grew up hearing that so much and then realizing I want so I wanted to be a doctor and deliver babies. And then I realized, Oh, I come from a family that has n- no money for college. Mm. I could not do that. I could not get into those schools and support my life and do that. So I had a real existential crisis about this whole, you can do whatever you want. No, you cannot. And that's actually a gift.
0: It's empowering. Yeah, It
1: is empowering. So that's part of what I help HSPs with. And I think all therapists and coaches need to help sensitive people with is, getting to a real place of acceptance, mm-hmm. maybe even having to grieve that, nope, you have carried around this expectation that one day, one day you can just be less emotional, that you have thought that is the goal and that's not your goal anymore.
0: So that's, yeah, been, that's liberating. That is that is freeing then. I can cry at all the commercials I want, right? I'm going to own it. Yeah. You can.
1: And that's why I think we're leaders. So mm-hmm. what I've learned to do in my world and model and coach others into doing is if I'm in that, got that coffee shop getting a coffee mm-hmm. and somebody's sweet little chair, of baby. I, so I am very connected. I'm not a mother. I am mm-hmm. not planning to have children, but I'm very connected to children. So I believe part of my calling is to do this work to help empower parents to be more present, oh, emotionally that. aware parents for their children. And in that way, that's how I get to serve my mothering energy that I was born with. Yeah. And I have learned to be peaceful with, that and happy with that, even though my whole expectation of my life was I would be someone with about six kids. Mm -hmm. So learning how to go with the flow as an HSP and do what you need to do for yourself as you figure out what you need to do. That idea of me being someone with a lot of kids that fit the morals and values and beliefs that I was raised with.
0: Sure.
1: Yeah. It didn't, it does not fit what I need in terms of the amount of quiet that I need in my life to feel grounded. Okay. The amount of control that I need over my physical space and to know like what's going to happen in my day and to have a reasonable mm, plan with my day. So that's part of what informed that decision for me. So we really want to be able to draw HSPs out to, to, to meet themselves in this crazy chaotic world understand that the crazy chaotic overwhelm isn't coming from within themselves. It's coming from these crazy go, 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 go more, 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 nothing's ever good enough. Answer your phone from your corporate job at 6am on Sunday expectations. Yeah. When I'm out in the world and I get emotional. Okay. I have learned to do this. I've never, ever, ever would have wanted to learn to do this, but I have accepted that okay, this is me accepting who I really am in this world. And I refuse to fight who I am anymore. I will look at someone and if I tear up, I go, wow, your child's got a really beautiful spirit. Or wow, like you've got a really beautiful outfit on and you're just working it today. Like a beautiful person, like feeling their confidence will just do it for me sometimes. Yeah. And I'll often offer a compliment. And sometimes I'll get a little teary. And I'll just say... Don't mind me. I'm I'm a tearful person but I'm also really strong. Okay. And they they stop and they often kind of look cuz that's like a weird thing that they've heard together like wait, strength and tears at the same time? That's not what I've been taught about this. And what I realize is that person once they digest it over a fraction of a second, they sit with it a second. Mm. And they go, "Oh, okay." And they meet me with a different energy. Why? Because I met myself with a different energy. And what most, most HSPs are doing is they're walking through their world apologizing constantly. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry I'm so emotional. I'm sorry I see the world differently than you do. I'm sorry I see the pain in the world. I'm sorry SPCA commercials break my heart. I'm sorry that I can't just watch that horrific vile movie with you and be comfortable. Mm. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We have to stop it. Yeah. And we have to own that it's our job to paint the stage for people. And when we're painting the stage for people with a, I'm sorry, I'm a problem. Yeah. This is a problem. They're going to meet us in that and go, yeah, okay. It's a problem. When I step up for myself and say, this is how I am. And this is actually a display of strength.
0: Yeah. And so I'm just, I'm I'm not, I'm owning it. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to see it. Right. Yes.
1: And so healers really, I believe that's the task there is to help people step more fully into that.
0: I love this. Uh, bring bring me your HSP people. I'm ready.
1: Yay! Uh, this, good. No, this is
0: good. This is really good. Um, yeah. Well, before in this we have talked 40 minutes. You know how fast that just went, Nikki?
1: We we could probably go a whole day. Oh, be totally. Dangerous. We need someone to reel us in with a timer. <laughs>
0: absolutely. So, um, but before I let you go, though, I do want to hear. I didn't get to enough of your story. I mean, okay. so I mean, do you do you have another uh, few minutes to kind of share?
1: Sure, absolutely.
0: All right. I do. Okay, so when when you so you didn't. You said you didn't really have this awareness of of what that you are were an HSP mm-hmm. or that there was a thing for it until you were in your practice. You were doing the work.
1: I was working in addiction work. What started to to make me realize, all right, I have some kind of perception ability, uh-huh. is I did I did addiction work with doctors and nurses, which is a very hard. Uh, group of people. So again, baptism by fire during the middle of Katrina. So overwhelmed. Everyone in Louisiana was totally overwhelmed and fried trying to do that work and manage our own self care with everyone else's. And what happened over those few years is I start, went from the IOP group, the intensive outpatient, where people don't live at the facility and come in if you're not familiar Mm -hmm. with those terms. Mm -hmm. And then I moved into the trauma group. And as I was in the trauma group, what started happening was in our clinical meetings, and that just means all the staff, so the medical doctors, the addictionologists, the clinical staff, the therapists, would all get together and discuss different patients, where were they, and decide how to step them down, or if they needed more care, and we collaborate that way in this profession. And those professionals, who were very much my mentors, and and I was the newbie, and I was learning from them. They started saying to me, Nikki, will you watch these parents in the family groups? I moved from IOP to the residential program. And what started happening as I met family members and would do big groups with 30 people at, of their, their families and the patient, I would pick up vibes and I could just see how they interacted and I would know, oh, there's sexual abuse in that family. And mm-hmm. because I have such a super responsibility about not putting my own stuff Right, that's what you learn in in any therapy that no one knows you learn is how to not put your own stuff. So, I was hyper aware of Mm -hmm. all right, I have this severe trauma history and I'm working through it as I work through it. How do I? I I don't want to put that on my clients at all. So, as I started sensing this, I would go to my supervisors, I would go to my counselor, I would say, Is am I sensing this because I'm projecting it, or is this what I'm sensing? And because I got that experience over and over again. For the average person, if I wasn't in this field, I might meet a family and have that experience, right? I might meet a friend's family and go, oh, something's wonky here, but I'm not going to get it confirmed. Right. And I'm certainly not going to get it confirmed over and over and over again, day in and day out. That clinical staff started deferring to me and saying, hey, Nikki, check out this family and give me your vibes. And I'd come back and I'd say, I really got the vibe that there was some kind of sexual abuse, something inappropriate here. Or there's something with this relationship or the mother's checked out or this and this and this. And lo and behold, days or weeks later, that client would disclose sexual abuse with the person that I said. So I started having to really sit with myself and go, okay, and feel that line between I'm projecting my own stuff yeah. versus I'm having an intuition about what's going on here. And I had to experiment with that a lot, and keep it very safe for me and those clients. And it helped me grow into that confidence of being able to feel the difference between an anxiety or an intuition.
0: I would say you, that transition from your stuff to I need to really act on this had to have been was that a, a lengthy transition, or did it just kind of start to feel overwhelming the more you? The I
1: energy? think it was more of like unveiling. Okay, we have a saying in yoga that as we practice, we're we're removing the veils mm. and it's like, as you remove veils, you just see more and more and more. The picture gets clearer and clearer and clearer. Yeah. The other thing that happened for me was, um, my sexual abuse memories were repressed. Okay. Even while I was learning about repression, just like most people, I have my judgments. So I thought repressed memories, pfft, like, that can't, that, how real can that really be? How can you experience something and really not know that you experienced it? That seems
0: like one of those therapist mumbo jumbo things, right? It does. I mean, there, it really all of a sudden they're going mean, to have saying all kinds of stuff that isn't true. Or, you know. Yes.
1: And right before I entered graduate school, my memories came back to me very, very quickly. Mm. Um, and I knew on a deep intuitive level, these memories are true. And I went through the appropriate channels. Uh, he served time in prison. Uh, he actually got out last year, six years early. They do let sex offenders out on good behavior, mm. which is another crazy thing society doesn't know about because yeah. pretty easy to have good behavior when you're not allowed to be around children. Mm. Um, so that, that happened to me. As I got into my graduate school for counseling, um, he was arrested. It was on TV. It was a really like, wild experience i had childhood teachers and um old friends parents like reaching out to me saying why didn't you tell me and the truth was i hadn't known it was blocked off from me yeah i didn't know so i didn't even understand my own depression and my own anxiety and my own teenage rebellion because i didn't have that framework when he was arrested i had a full nervous breakdown Mm. like just hit the wall with it um Really, as the oldest sibling, held a lot of shame about not having protected my younger sisters, even though I didn't know what was going on, right? Those irrational thoughts mm-hmm. and that HSP super responsibility, taking on responsibility for things that weren't mine. I remember sending my favorite professor an email, that, and I've done a moth story on this story also. Um, so I've presented this as a story, and it is a, as much as it sounds like a very dark story, it's a very funny and uplifting story to me. Because I sent that professor uh, an email that said, hey, I'm going to no, miss class today. Um, yesterday, I spent all day at the police station for 12 hours pressing charges on my father. And it's going to be on the news today. And I need to miss class and see the news. And then I'm going to go check myself into a mental hospital because I'm losing it. Oh, and oh. I told her in the email, I said, so I guess I have to drop out of school because obviously I'm crazy. And therefore, I can't be a therapist. And and she responded back to me, lovely, 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 Dr. Herlihy. Uh, She responded back to me and she said, good for you. More people should take a mental health vacation. Go take your vacation and come back to school when you're ready. This will make you a better therapist.
0: Oh, how and how that was that a pivotal moment right there? I mean, that was, you know,
1: life changing. Yeah. Pivotal. And then when I went into the psych unit, um, that staff was very excited because I kind of knew the things that they were doing, so they let me read my own psych evaluation. Oh wow! Yeah, and had had me participate in the clinicals and and realized like how I was an asset to the other people that were there, um, and didn't kick up chaos and wasn't difficult like all those HSP messages.
0: Right, right. Okay. So
1: really, and that staff came to me really and were able to sit me down and say, "Hey, your husband and your mother." at the time they are trying to master manipulate our staff wow this is what's going on and yeah. so they they really helped me so i hope by sharing my story like with you and how i have on my yeah. own show and at the mm-hmm. moth that people really hear that like our darkest moments they are not these big failures they are not these big shame fests they are these moments that crack us open beyond what we know we can get past and then we get past it. And it gives us more wisdom than we could ever read in a book, you know, mm-hmm. than we could ever pick up just because we are experiencing life. And that's where our wisdom comes from.
0: And imagine, imagine not having a way to tap into that or feel okay with that or yes. own that. Yes,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. So as I moved forward in my career, I was shocked at the amount of people that I saw from incestuous homes. When I went to do the podcast, I said to a colleague of mine, I'm going to do this. I think I need to be the face of talking about incest because even professionals think that if you're an incest survivor, you know, you're, we know all of the stereotypes, Mm. you know, we know when we're talking about, um, an an erotic dancer, (laughs) you know, we understand that that's probably in their history. We don't have that framework for people who get master's degrees. We don't have that framework for people who work high-powered jobs. We have this real lost soul idea in society. And what happens to a lot of people who grow up in dysfunction is school is the savior. School is the safe place. So I think we've really underserved a huge population of people who have actually pulled themselves up by the bootstraps, but their internal life is chaotic and lost from trauma and or high sensitivity. So I think this work, naming high sensitivity, being able to be more authentic as people and show that, it's helping us go back to more of a model that is mentoring. Okay. And I think the strong boundaries in counseling, that they do make a lot of sense for a lot of populations.
0: Yeah. But, but, but man, I hope that, and I'm, uh, I, I'm joking now when I want to say, let me text my noon and tell them that I can't make it. Right? Are you sure? No, I'm joking. I can't.
1: Oh, I I was
0: (laughs) like, what? like talking about, I'm going to be so empathetic. And now, let me just tell the person who's about to come in that. Yeah, uh,
1: no, you can't uh, can't do that. I I never change. I've never, ever changed. No, exactly. No. Um,
0: Nikki, real quick, where do people find you? We will you do. Can
1: find me, you can find me through emotionalbadass.com or you can find me at nikkieisenhower.com. My last name is really kooky to spell, it has all the letters. It's like the German spelling of the uh, alphabet. Yeah. Um, so emotional badasses.com is the best way to kind of find me, even
0: though I couldn't say it, I will link it. I will link okay. it like a dream. Cool. Um, I, and, uh, you have online programs. I noticed you have a Patreon page. You have, uh, people can, can, they can get, uh, live calls from you every month.
1: I do. I have a Patreon that we're growing. I would love to move that Patreon in some future goals are to make some educational videos and, you know, video creation, you know, you have a tech background. I do not. So my, my partner on the podcast does that part. So we'd like to grow the Patreon and really, and really get, a podcast into one of those top Patreon brackets and really grow like a media company to do wellness education out of it. That's kind of the big dream goal um, Mm -hmm. to do that. And yes, I teach a boundaries course and I, and um, doing that again next October. And yeah, doing a bunch hey, of things.
0: Nikki Eisenhower, what a what a joy, what a pleasure. We've got many episodes ahead of us. This is going to be good, right? Oh, um, yes, I, we yeah, do. And
1: I'm going to have you on my show. You have to come on and talk about dealing with porn addiction. I would love to do that with you.
0: Okay, that would be great. I would uh, would love to. All right, I'm going to press uh, stop and hang on here. Okay, want to. Okay. All right, but uh, thank you. Uh, thanks, Nikki Eisenhower from Emotional Bad.
1: Compressed emotions flying past.
0: Our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful. Elastic waste
1: and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour. They push aside the